Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. And just like that, we're back. It is the Late Kick Extra podcast, Thursday morning, April 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2021. It is a huge, huge, huge day here. It's not just huge because we have a podcast full of great college football Q&A coming your way right this second. It's not huge because we got a jam-packed Late Kick Live later tonight. It's not huge because we got a bunch of spring games this weekend, nor is it huge because we're approaching 3,000 on Instagram. Therefore, we are preparing another Late Kick Show Owners Association meeting No, friends, it's huge because as I'm speaking in this microphone, I'm not in my apartment, and it's not early in the morning or extremely late at night. It's late in the day on Wednesday, and abnormally, I'm actually recording at the studio. And the reason it's big is because at the studio, when comicbook.com is here, sometimes they have musical instruments, and every so often they leave a musical instrument behind. So I come strolling in about 2.30 this afternoon, not even really intending to record the podcast, but when I looked over in the corner, yeah, yeah, so that's there. So all these fancy podcasts out there with these big production teams, it's just me and producer Jordan here over in our little cubbyhole corner. They got all the budget in the world. They got all the special effects, all the editing time in the world. We got to turn these things with sometimes less than an hour's notice. But today we're doing our own sound effects. I'm doing my own audio beds. We're recording it on the fly. So not only do we have a jam-packed mailbag, but I'm playing at least one chord going in and coming out of every question. So help me. These opportunities are very, very few and far between. We cannot let it go by the wayside without taking full advantage. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. That's the way to submit a question if you want to through email. You can also DM me on Instagram, on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Make sure you give me follows both places. Some of you follow me one place. Some of you follow me another place. Best thing to do, just follow me in both places. It's going to be really, really fun, really, really active, especially when the season gets here. But beat the rush. Do it now. And I also want to just say thank you in general because we've been getting so much traction. I'm looking around at some of the network traffic and whatnot And our traffic right now is really disproportionate to what the college football media industry says it should be this time of year. But then again, that's why we stress there is no off-season. And so that's not just a marketing slogan. We operate the same way now as we do in September. We may be talking about different things, but we don't take time off. We don't let our foot off the gas. We bring it, or at least we try to bring it year-round. Now, in these situations, like the podcast we're about to get started in about 10 seconds, it's because of you. I mean, we got some great questions this morning. There's no need to ever slow down. So thank you so much for uh, making that possible. Let's get it started here. Oh, hold on a second. God, groundbreaking stuff. We're winning an Emmy, Jordan. Here we go. Jared kicks us off. If you were an athletic director at a prestigious football university, maybe not elite currently, though, what kinds of questions would you ask when interviewing coaches How would it maybe change for younger coaches? It wouldn't really change for younger coaches all that much, Jared, at least for me personally. So the way I would want to go about it is I'd ask them to define our culture. So Pate State, I'm bringing the coach in, and either we are elite currently or at one time we were elite and we think we can be again. So if I've got the resources, 
I'm asking them, define our culture. This is not the NFL. In the NFL, you fit the New York Jets as well as you do the San Diego Chargers. But in college football, if you're going to coach at UCLA versus Rutgers, I mean, those two couldn't be any different. If you're going to coach at Auburn versus Oregon State, those two couldn't be any different. you got to find a really good culture fit. Culture is imperative in college football. Look no further than what Sam Pittman just did and is doing at Arkansas. If Sam Pittman were to be hired instead of Jimmy Lake, as the head coach at Washington. Would it work? You never say never, but I certainly don't think he'd be anywhere close to the fit there that he is at Arkansas. So the first thing I would ask that coach to do is define our culture, because I want to know how he sees us. And then I'd ask him to define his culture. In a perfect world, you fully implement everything about yourself in our program. What is your culture? We got to find out if those two concepts jive, because if they don't jive, and I recently found out the word is jibe, but I'm not stopping the V. Jive is the word for me. If those two don't mesh, let's say, and conceptually, we're just on different planets when it comes to your culture versus our culture, well, that's oil and water. It's not going to mix. It doesn't matter what your record is at that point, Jared. See, it doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter how many wins you've put up. If your culture and your idea of what it's supposed to be doesn't match ours, then we got to shake hands. We got to move on. Another thing I'd be really big into learning about is motivation tactics. How do you go about motivating? And if I got a coach, now this is me personally, this is the way we're going to do it at Pate State. If I got a coach who is constantly preaching doubt, constantly preaching us against the world, constantly, as I've spoken about before, using external factors as the fuel for our motivation source here, I'm not on board with that. I don't believe in it because I don't believe it's long-term sustainable. And so I would much rather have a guy who is kind of like Nick Saban, not like him in a sense of a clone because there isn't another one out there, but Saban's not the only one who buys into the process-oriented approach of finding things internally to motivate. Therefore, it doesn't matter when you get to the top that there are no doubters left. Your fuel doesn't run out because you weren't relying on the doubters to begin with. So I'd have a long conversation about that. I'd want to know what his message in recruiting is going to be and therefore what his staff's message in recruiting is going to be because I don't want anyone going out on the road for Pate State and recruiting against a program. I want him out there and his staff out there selling my program. Because if we think we're good enough, if we think we have a good enough product, if we think we have a good enough culture, we don't have to rely on the negative recruiting tactics. Some may do it. That's fine. We don't want to be the sum. We want to be the very, very, very few. We want to be elite. And the elite programs, they typically don't do that. You may find one or two exceptions, but the vast majority of them that hang out in the top end of the recruiting world and therefore the top end of the college football world, they don't have to do it. How are you going to go negative recruit against Ohio State? What are you saying to negatively recruit against Oklahoma? The only thing you're saying negative about those places is their depth chart is loaded. You may not play there. Well, if I'm Pate State and you're saying that about me, you're doing me a favor even though you don't know it. Because if any kid is deterred by my depth chart here at Pate State, By default, they weren't going to make it here anyway. I got to have a competitive mentality in a kid to come here. It's no different than the way Saban has to do it at Alabama. Kirby does it this way at Georgia. Ryan Day is doing it this way. Uh, Dabo has to do it this way. All those depth charts are loaded. So if a kid, uh, well, first off, I don't know how you wouldn't already know that from day one. But if you didn't know that, and then someone all of a sudden walks in the door and says, have you seen this Clemson depth chart? I don't know if you're going to be able to start there. If that's all it takes to turn that kid away, you did me a favor. Because he was probably going to come here and wash out even if I ended up signing him. So I'd want to know about the motivation approach. I'd want to know about the recruiting approach. I'd also want to know what his plan is for NIL. And that's before I ever share our vision as a university. Just want to know where he is, what wavelength he's on. How good a grasp does he have on that? How good a grasp does he have 
around the ability to market the program. And you'll notice in all these questions, there's something missing. I haven't asked a football question yet. Hadn't asked a single X's and O's scheme, philosophy. I hadn't asked anything like that yet. I'm getting to that. But I'd want to know all these things in advance. I'm a believer the head coach role over the next decade is going to morph into something that is far more CEO than we've ever seen it in the sport. I'm not saying you won't have football-minded people. What I am saying is the door is going to open. I think I did a segment on this about a month ago where you're going to have a lot of guys from atypical paths, atypical avenues rising to head coaching positions. And what they're going to be able to do is, while they may not wow you on a grease board, they'll have plentiful resources to hire the right football minds. They're going to be the right leaders for the program. They're going to be the right face, the right marketer. The three-tiered approach we talked about the other day that I think is going to be the key to the future of NIL the programs that capitalize on the NIL and transfer portal era are the ones that have the university foundation. They got a strong football program, and then they understand how to be a marketing firm. So I got to have a head coach that grasps at least two of the three. I'll take care of the university and me and the president will take care of that. But you got to take care of football. You got to take care of marketing, or at the very least, you got to have the right philosophy to hire the right people. And then after I get through all these, and I got to have a check mark, by the way, in all these boxes or close to it, if we get through all that, and I think we got the right guy. Then I've got the brightest football minds that I know that are on my committee with me. I'm not hiring a search committee, by the way. I'm doing it the old-fashioned way. I got football guys that are then going to take these candidates, and they're going to drill them. I'm going to sit there and watch. I'm not going to participate a whole lot in that. That's not my wheelhouse. I'm just the AD. But I know that I've got the right guys to vet that man from a football standpoint. I just vetted him from a character and leadership standpoint and a vision standpoint. And if we got checks in all the boxes, then I'm extending an offer. This is amazing. This has got to be what Hank felt like the first time he came to Nashville. Okay, Jake is up next. Jake says, Tennessee question here. Theoretically, let's say they were to return to a nationally prominent contending team within five years. If that happens, what steps do you think Josh Heupel would have taken in order to set them up for success in the upcoming seasons? I came up with four bullet points. These were off the top of my head, so you guys can feel free to add. I think if we're five years from now, so the 2026 season, Tennessee is a national title contender. I think he has to have recruited at least three consecutive top five classes. Remember how hard it is to win a title, by the way. So you got to be up there. I mean, we're not talking about a team that can go 10 and 2. You're, you're speaking legitimately about a team that can win a title. So you got to be recruiting, I think, at least three classes in that top five, if not inside the top five level. I think they got to totally redefine the culture. These are in no particular order. The culture obviously comes first, but they have to have totally redefined that, not just internally, although there's a huge internal element I'm about to hit on in a second. They have to have also redefined from a marketing standpoint, from a, a messaging standpoint, what Tennessee football is. Ultimately, you do that on the field, but not totally, because I think we can, again, look at Georgia Tech, and I think people feel differently about Georgia Tech right now than they did three years ago, and they haven't won anything. They've won three games each of the last two years, but there's a huge difference in the energy level and the optimism level, and that's because they changed the messaging, and now ultimately you got to get it done on the field. I think that's what year three is going to be for with Tech and Jeff Collins, but I also look at Josh Heupel, and obviously they're in the primitive stages of that, but they'd have to do the same thing. They would have to then look internally and cultivate what I call the Clemson factor. Here's what the Clemson factor is. You know, no matter how good you message, no matter how good you handle your business from the inside, a sizable portion of the college football public is never going to buy in until they actually see Tennessee do it. Because it's been so long since they've done it, there is, a again, a sizable portion of the college football public 
that doesn't believe it's possible. I'm not one of them. I think it'd be really hard. I'm not one of them that thinks it's impossible, but I don't think I'm in the majority there. I think I'm in the minority. A lot more people I have spoken to think it's just impossible now. The sport has passed Tennessee by. I've told you why I think that's wrong, but you would have to cultivate the Clemson factor because people said that about Clemson too. If I were to tell you in 2010, even when they were pretty good over there, like they had some nice solid years, but if I told you, I know things look good right now under Tommy Bowden, but there's going to come a time where they're in the national championship several years. They're going to win two of them over the span of three years. They're going to be there consistently. They'll be one of, and in some cases, if not one of, in many minds, the top program in America for a little stretch. You would have thought I was outside my mind. And so it didn't matter. That didn't keep Clemson from achieving it. But most of the college football public would have laughed at that sentiment. Even if you got all the things in order over there that you need to, even if you plant all the right seeds and you got the soil turned the right way, turned the right way, there you go. God bless all our farmers still listening after that. Even if you have everything in order, some people just aren't going to believe in you, period. They had everything in order at Clemson, as it turned out. No one believed. It didn't matter, though. You notice that? They just kind of put their blinders on. They kind of closed the door. They laughed at what was being said on the outside, and they cultivated themselves from within. They created a unique culture there. Clemson is... It's very closed off in some ways, but I don't say that in a bad way. It's a really good thing because they have something there that works, and they don't really care what the rest of college football thinks about it. They didn't then. They don't now. Now that it's proven, they really don't care what you think about it. And so you got to do that at Tennessee, too. So you'd have to cultivate the Clemson factor. And then you got to nail the staff hires. You've got to nail quarterback signing. you got to nail quarterback development. And also, this NCAA cloud has to dissolve, and it has to have long since disappeared distantly into the rearview mirror by the time we're talking about here, Jake. You know, it's kind of fitting, Jordan, that we have... Jordan's not in the room. I'm just talking to him. He's going to hear this like 12 hours later. But Jordan, you know, now that I mention it, it's nice that we have this really soothing music. I could picture this being played in the lobby, in the waiting area of like a Japanese restaurant with Koi Pond over there. And it's just soothing. It just it lowers the heart rate a little bit, but it's good because it fits right with Cole's question. Cole is asking about memories. Cole said, I know your inbox is undoubtedly bombarded on a daily basis, but man, I just love to know how you got started. Well, Cole is bombarded, but it's bombarded with the right stuff. Uh, Namely, questions like this or requests like this. I do this a lot in our Zoom consultations. Any of you who do that, joshpate706 at gmail.com if you want one, by the way. Any of you who do that, A lot of people ask, how did this happen? And I'll give the really, really condensed version. When I came out of high school, I had zero clue really what I wanted to do. Now, I knew I had a passion for certain things, but I had no idea how to make it happen. I was really wasting time in college. And so I went, I was on Hope Scholarship. That's the lottery scholarship system down in Georgia. So I was in college, but I was just wasting time. And so I kind of floated in and out of college, one semester in, one semester out. And I was working at a fabric warehouse. I'd listen to sports talk radio all day. What, what would happen is we'd come in in the morning and me and a coworker, street named Captain Will, we would unload the Southeastern freight truck and then we'd get all the rolls checked in and then we would listen to Colin Cowherd's show. In that case, he was on ESPN radio back in the day. And then that'd get us to lunch. And then you come back from lunch and then you hopefully have, there was a litany of shows. It's like a merry-go-round, but hopefully you have something to get you to the local show and then the local show would take you home. Well, I listened to all those shows, but that local show there in the Columbus market I got to know the program director, who was also the on-air afternoon drive host, Bobby Z, who is now up in Wisconsin doing his thing. But I got to know him, and he let me come in and observe some shows. And eventually, his co-host got sick one day. So I just got thrown on air. I had no preparation. I, 
I had no way of knowing it was going to happen. But man, I had done so much dry run stuff. I had done so many hours and hours, hundreds of hours of practice. And I've detailed to some of you how I practiced. Very weird stuff. Don't want to get into it. It's not illegal. It's just weird. I, I talked. I did mock radio interviews in my truck driving around all day instead of listening to the radio. That's how I practiced. So he, uh, he said, man, who, who you say you work for? And I told him, I don't. I've never done radio before. And he thought I was lying. But he put me on air. And never took me off air. And a couple years later, a local TV station there in Columbus called up and said, we want you to do a weeknight college football show for us. So I did. And then I ended up being the sports anchor there and then the sports director. And then I got elevated to news anchor. But I could not get what I wanted. And what I wanted was to do my own college football show. And so it came time for contract negotiation. And I sit there and I'm renegotiating and I can't get it. It's a nice, it's a nice extension now. Nice money, but I can't get what I want. And so I offered a counter. I turned him down which no one ever did around there. I turned him down, came back with a counter a few weeks later. And I said, how about this? I'll work independent contract for you. You just 1099 me. You pay me per show. I'll still be your news anchor in the morning. No one at home will know the difference. It's going to save you a lot of money. I won't be a salaried employee, no benefits, but here's what I do want. I want the studio and I want the ability to bring in my own staff. And I want to do a live college football show on a YouTube channel. I own three nights a week. And they said, heck yeah. This is a deal. This is a jackpot for us. And so I did it. And about a year and a half later, CBS Sports, 24-7 Sports, Shannon Terry calls me up one day. I let it go to voicemail because I did not know it was him. And so I call him back. And essentially the message was, whatever you're doing, just come do it for us. Don't care. Just come do it for us. And so that's how I got up here. Now, that's the short version. There's an hour-long version that I could tell you sometime. But that's essentially how that happened, Cole. But imagine this. Long before I ever got in front of a live microphone, I loved this stuff just like I do today. I loved it. Not only did I love college football, I was fascinated by sports media. Like many of you are. That's why I do some of those sessions I do. I was fascinated by both. Think about finding a career at the intersection of that. Just think about what that's like for me. Finding a career at the intersection of that and just being able to make ends meet with it. But then elevating to one of the biggest sports media companies in the country and then being given autonomy and being given creative control and being able to create what you want, but finally having resources to do it and having nice studios and good equipment and really, really high-level professional people around you. If you ever wonder why it sounds like I'm over here goofing off having fun, it's because I am, because I have uh, figured out what so many people want to figure out how to do, and that is to make a living doing what you love to do. Used to always be told that. When I was at Harris County High School, any motivational speaker they had come through, they'd tell us, find the intersection of your passion and your talent. You'll never work a day in your life. Just find a career at that intersection. I never forgot it. Never forgot that advice. Took a long time. Now, the fabric warehouse down in Columbus was not exactly the intersection of either one of those. It was off, almost off the grid entirely. But I have a lot of fun. When I do these consultations, I have a lot of fun. I will not present any illusions. It is extremely hard to get up here. It's extremely hard to do it. Most people are going to quit. 98 to 99% of them are going to quit. Uh, that's the beauty of it. That grind when you're making no money, what's really happening every day, unbeknownst to you, is the tens of thousands of people who you're competing against in different markets, different corners of the country, 
one by one, dozen by dozen, they're quitting per day. It's too hard. They can't continue. And every day you just get up and go back to work is a day that you thinned out the herd a little bit more, even though you can't see them because all you can see is you. But there's a guy in Tacoma, Washington that quit today. There's a guy in Evansville, Indiana that quit today. There's a guy down in Houston that quit today. And just because you kept going, even if you had a terrible day, you kept going, then you got a little bit closer and the herd just thinned out a little bit more. But my point always is, and I'll just say this, Cole, in case anyone's listening who hasn't done one of these sessions with me, there has never been a more wide open opportunity for non-traditional paths into sports media than there is right now. Technology has opened the door. It has kicked the door down. The overhead and distribution in our industry used to be what you needed. Overhead being a physical studio, distribution being networks, essentially, or the ability to syndicate yourself. And guess who held the keys to that? General managers at TV stations. That's who held the key. You got a phone in your hand, you just circumvented all that. And so now you find talent and you find talent all over the place. And they're not, all due respect, they're not just being rolled off the assembly line at Missouri or Northwestern or Grady up at Georgia. They're all over the place. Some of them didn't even finish college. Some of them got a high school degree under their belt, but more knowledge, wisdom, and talent than a lot of folks who have that four-year degree on their wall. If you've got the work ethic and you've got the talent and you understand what it means to truly be a professional at something instead of just doing it, you will be discovered. They will not hide you. You can't be hidden forever. And let me also tell you this. Long before I got the call from here, I had started to make a pretty darn good living on my own independently through that YouTube channel. In six months, I was making more than what my salary had been as a news anchor. Just to give you a little idea of what's possible there, if you understand how to build a tribe, as they constantly tell you in the consultations that the media companies make you sit through, if you can build a tribe, if you can find a way to attract an audience, like if you have that organically within you, then sky's the limit. Today, sky is the limit. So that's the way we built the Late Kick brand. Pure authenticity. That'll never cease. I talk to uh, the executives here at CBS a lot about that, about how even as we elevate this show, even as we pump more resources into this show, we're not shaving the authenticity away from it. There may be some bells and whistles on it, but we're not changing the way we produce this thing. I would want to quit before I had this fundamentally altered, uh, as you would expect me to, because that's what you have come to expect. And so, I mean, the sole responsibility we have when we produce this stuff is to give you what you want. And hopefully we're doing that. I at least know we're doing it when we do stuff like this. Oh, stretching that creative muscle so hard right now we could pull it. So Capital NCAA had a question. He said, what would it take for a team like Nebraska or Michigan to actually become a championship contender? It's kind of some of the same things we were talking about earlier in different contexts. It starts at well, it starts with recruiting in general. So we got to build a certain level. Now, you could argue with me semantically about does it need to be a perennial top five level? Does it need to be top eight, top 11, 12? It's got to be up there. Okay, It's got to be way better than either one of them have done, especially Nebraska. Now, Michigan ha has been pretty good there. I think they'd have to bump it up another level. But see, even with Michigan bumping it up another level or Nebraska for several years bumping it up several levels, it all comes back to quarterback. I mean, it's all it comes down to. I, I know it sounds lazy to keep saying that, but if you watch the games on Saturdays in the fall, it's not lazy. It's just reality. Same answer to about 14 different questions. So they'd have to do that. Uh, we have to confirm that they've got the right head coaches there, which is just crazy if we go back to 2014 and ask ourselves that about Jim Harbaugh. It was such a slam dunk. I thought that too. Such a slam dunk. That was going to be the least of Michigan's concerns is, do they have the right head coach? And to be honest with you, I mean, didn't a lot of people think that about Scott Frost when he went to Nebraska? 
I think they did. I, I think the biggest fear right now in the minds of a lot of Nebraska fans is we thought we had the right guy, and their biggest fear is they do have the right guy. What if we do have the right guy, and this is just evidence that we can't do it here anymore? That's the big fear. The, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they found out Scott Frost was just fool's gold. It would be the worst thing in the world if he was the real deal. If he left Nebraska and went back somewhere else and started winning again immediately. So great success at UCF, great success at fill-in-the-blank, and there's just terribleness in between, and Nebraska is the exception to the rule now, I guess you'd call it. Uh, the answers to these questions are not hard. you got to recruit well, you got to get quarterback right, you got to have the staff in place, and well, at that point, you give yourself a shot. But we got to do all those things at a high level. The formula is not hard to figure out. The hard thing to figure out is, can you get the right guy in place? At Nebraska, you ask that question. At Michigan, you ask, do you have the right guy in place because you once thought you did, and now we start to ask that question more and more every year? That's the question. It's not how could they do it. It's can they do it. Johnny's got a question that a lot of you ask in some shape, form, or fashion, and it's about not the teams that have already made the playoff, maybe the next one that hasn't already made it. Who is that? Whomst is that out there? Which brand? Which helmet will that be? Well, I'll try and answer it the best I can right after this. Chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. So Johnny says, since the beginning of the college football playoff, only 10 teams have made it. Well, who's going to be the 11th and why? Now, you know, my immediate answer here was Oregon because I keep forgetting that Oregon already made it. It was just back at the very beginning of the playoff. So it can't be Oregon. It also can't be Florida State. Florida State's made it too. They got trounced by Oregon the first round of the first playoff. But who could it be? I think a lot of folks may lean Southern Cal here. They just assume, well, if Southern Cal ever gets it together, they're in a winnable conference. And I could roll with that. I think a lot of folks may say Iowa State. But to me, you're rolling the dice this year on Iowa State. I think the closest they'll get for, excuse me, we, the closest we'll get for several years would be this year. So you got to put all your eggs to me in this 2021 basket, and I want longevity. I want several shots at this thing. That's why I would look at North Carolina. North Carolina is the program I would go with. I also think Wisconsin would be a decent roll of the dice. Maybe Michigan would be a decent roll of the dice. Now, what you're having to look at there, or maybe in both cases, and you can throw Miami into the mix here if you want to, I think what you're trying to look at is not are they going to overtake Clemson or are they going to overtake Ohio State. You're asking is there room for a second team out of that conference? So the assumption is if Clemson has a great year and your only loss, if you're in North Carolina, is to them competitively, could there be a second ACC slot? For that reason, A&M also fits here. So as you can clearly tell, I don't have one answer. But I would narrow it down to, like, let's say Michigan, Wisconsin. I wanted to put Penn State in there. still think they're a little ways away, though. So I, I'm going to put Wisconsin and or Michigan. Let's go Wisconsin. I'm going to put Wisconsin and I'm going to put Texas A&M, and I'm going to put North Carolina. And out of those three, 
you can take your pick because I'm not quite ready to do that. And we got a long summer ahead of us where maybe we'll whittle that down. We roll on. That was the, uh, the first chord in Fleetwood Mac's Dreams, by the way. We roll on here with Melissa. Melissa says, I love those Instagram videos you've been putting up. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for noticing. Several of you have. Melissa speaking for all of you. But Melissa asked a question. I'm glad she asked it because I never would have even thought that this came to anyone's mind. She asks, where in the world is all that footage coming from that you post? Do fans send it to you? No, Melissa, they don't. So this is what I've kind of been hinting at and, and teasing ahead to, looking ahead to for the fall. I'm at games every week. I, I get to pick. I mean, I get to set my entire schedule, essentially. I pick the game I want to go to every weekend. Uh, they get me there, you know, make sure I get back in time for the Sunday night show. But I'll be on the sideline, press box, I'll be all over the place. And so I have my phone with me. And so I record a whole lot of that stuff. I just record a ton of footage. And I'm scrolling through the iJosh the other day. It was about a month ago, actually. And I realized, wait, I got all this backlogged footage I've never even used. And so I'm taking Instagram seriously now. Why don't I just start dumping some of this on there in the offseason, knowing that come fall, I'm going to have new stuff every week for you. So come fall, it'll be bonkers on there. What I typically do is I go to a game and I just start filling up that Instagram story, uh, which for those unfamiliar is just updates, real-time updates. And you look at it, it stays up 24 hours. And you'll look at a college football Saturday in my story, it may go 20, 25 posts deep. And they're all good. I don't just record trash. So it's a lot of stuff that you won't get to see. It's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. It's a lot of all-access stuff, field stuff, warm-ups, locker room, wherever we are. And so I put all that up there. So, but to answer your question, Melissa, no, that's all my footage. That all comes straight out of the old iJosh, whether it's my current one or an old one. And I've transferred the footage. So yeah, Melissa, that's all me. Thank you for asking. I never knew that that was even a question on anyone's mind. And by the way, if you want to follow, I encourage you to, at LateKickJosh over on Instagram. Let's move on here. We still got several to get to. Okay, we got to rapid fire some of these. And the reason I'm going to rapid fire is not in a disrespectful manner. Some of these I'm going to get to. Like, for instance, Spencer. Spencer asked, well, actually, he demanded a state of the Utah Utes football program segment. So what I'm going to do, Spencer, is after we get out of all of spring, there are going to be a lot of programs like this. Michigan State's one of them. Utah's one of them. There's several of them that I want to get to, but I'm doing them post-spring. So these are basically the programs I don't have as many ties to. Therefore, I don't get a constant flow of information, but I will have plenty enough on the plate to do something after all of spring balls wrapped up. So let's table that one. Also, Daniel said, do you think the next round of conference realignment will be as active as the last? Short answer is, I'm not quite sure, Daniel, but that's also something that we're going to touch on at length during the summer. And what I mean by that is not I have the specific date nailed down. I have people I love to talk to about this that are far more informed than myself, actual decision makers on that front. Let's just leave it at that. And so I like to always bounce stuff off of them. These are not people who are just available to talk every day, but uh, over the course of the X season, off season. They are. So uh, we'll get in touch with those people, and I'll have a lot more informed take. I could just blurt something out. A lot of you think I do that anyway, but I try not to. And so let's table that one. Daniel again said, if you could pick one player that most closely defines the minimum requirement at quarterback to win a national title, who would it be? This is one I wanted to get to. So this, to me, sounds like Sam Ellinger. And this is a recent history thing, so I didn't go back very far. And what Daniel is essentially saying is, if you got the right team, if you got the right pieces, you got good enough receivers, good enough coaching staff, how good do you have to be? What's the worst you could be, I guess he's asking? Minimum requirement, talent level, maturity, decision-making, physical nature, all that stuff. Sam Ellinger, to me, is the answer here. Now, Sam Ellinger was a really good quarterback, 
And what held him down was not Sam Ellinger. It was a lot of other things around Texas. But if I were to drop Ellinger, I'm not even going to say OU. If I were to drop Ellinger, let's say, on Georgia's roster uh, two years ago or last year, the whole season, they would have been a national championship contender. They certainly would have been good enough to be in the running. I'm not saying they would have won it, but he would have been good enough to do that. So Sam Ellinger is the guy. I don't think you can go far below that level, only because when you're going below that level, remember, ultimately, when you get there, you're going to have to beat Justin Fields or a Mac Jones or a Trevor Lawrence. You're going to have to be that good, or you're going to have to have a team that is good enough to beat them at their best, which you're going to get in the playoff. So my answer there was Sam Ellinger, but I'll be really interested if any of you have thoughts on that. What is the minimum requirement? And you got to use an actual data point. So pick an actual player, minimum requirement. You could take that player, put him on an otherwise championship caliber team. Who's it going to be for you? That's a really, really interesting. We can crowdsource that question. Xavier asked about the Tennessee quarterback situation. I'm going to pause that one because we're going to talk about it a whole lot on Late Kick Live tonight. As you can see, we're bookmarking a whole lot here. I promise I'm going to get to all of them. Tonight, we'll be talking about a lot of the spring games coming up this weekend. So we've got, just off the top of my head, I know Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, uh, Texas A&M in the SEC. We're going to talk about North Carolina. We're going to talk about Texas. I know Oklahoma's this weekend. Michigan State, I think, is this weekend. So we've got a whole lot of teams to get to. And obviously, when we talk about Tennessee, we'll talk about the quarterback situation there. So we've got a loaded show coming up tonight. If I did not get to any of your questions... They're all here. I did not skip over any of the non-evergreen questions. So if they're evergreen, they'll be relevant next week. So if I didn't get to them already, I'll get to them. And if you want to submit a question, joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter and or Instagram at late kick Josh. Make sure you're following there. Any of you who are giving shout outs to my Instagram page in your story, thank you for that. I'm keeping note. Thank you very much for that, and thank you for all the traction you guys have continued to give the show because we don't pay a dime to promote this thing. So it's really up to you, and you do a phenomenal job. So for producer Jordan, I am Josh Pate. Thanks for listening to Late Kick Extra. We'll see you later tonight on Late Kick Live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Until then, have a great Thursday, and God bless. It is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.